Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was the reception job was so bad. I was willing to drive 35 miles through downtown L.A. <laughs> to quit that job and move into working in grocery. Wow. And so, yeah, I did that for a decade. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 199 of the Camino Voice. Today, I speak with the owner and founder of Brandy York Fine Art and Random Geekery. Please welcome... You guessed it, Brandy York. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they're going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday, or at least typically. Um, hey, welcome back. Hope you guys had a good weekend. We, uh, being my wife and I, got to go to the Jonas Brothers on Friday night, and so that was fun. Got to go see a, a pretty crazy uh, show, and um, yeah, had a good time there, and got to actually, my sister got to go with us too, so that was fun. All three of us got to hang out. And, um, yeah, it's fun seeing a band from the 90s that is, well, I guess early 2000s. And um, that is also a, um, like, they're still popular with, like, teen girls, sort of. Um, So, like, the crowd there was really funny. Like, people our age, people older than us, and people way younger than us all there. Um, So it was was pretty fun. Uh, The crowd was very diverse. um, But had a good time there. And, um, and then Sunday, uh, my son and I, who um, uh, enjoys video games and stuff like myself, um, we got to go to a tournament, uh, not participate, but just go observe one, um, of a local, uh, at, a, at a place in Seattle. Um, and it was for, no one's going to understand what this is, but it was for Smash Brothers Ultimate, which is a um, video game. Um, and it's a... a big it's a small video game as far as like competitive goes but uh yeah this this tournament happened to be statistically the biggest tournament ever uh for that uh game so that was really cool to be able to go there and see a lot of the top players that i've watched on on youtube and stuff uh i've got a selfie with uh who used to be the like the best player in the game by far um, and now everyone else is kind of caught up to him. So now he's just a really good player. But I uh, got a selfie with him. So that was fun. Uh, good time to, uh, to do that. So um, had an insane weekend. Lots of fun. But whew, I am here on Monday and I am, I am tired. So uh, that, that was my weekend. And it's only going to get crazier from here because we are in the Christmas season um, so yeah, uh, welcome, welcome to this. Um, uh, real quick, I'm going to throw out this date. If you guys are listening to this podcast and you're here on Camino Island or Stanwood, um, we are doing the tree lighting, um, from, well, there's activity starting at 4 PM, um, on December 2nd, that's a Saturday. <clears throat> uh, so events will start, the activities will start at 4 PM. I think that's what I just said. Uh, 4 p.m., there's going to be some activities going on. Santa's going to be here. Uh, and then at 5 p.m., we will actually do the tree lighting here at Commando Commons. So come out for that if you can. Uh, it should be a good time. We've got uh, Windermere doing the 
coffee, uh, not coffee, sorry, we're doing the coffee. Windermere doing the hot chocolate bar that they're, they're famous for. Uh, we've got goodie bags that will be here. Like I said, Santa will be here. And um, the, the loft, um, the Crouches will be doing a uh, arts and crafts project. Um, we have a, a choir coming to sing us through. And um, yeah, and then we have great sponsors this year uh, of the Kameno Chamber um, sponsoring it. Ace Hardware, uh, Ace Kameno is going to be sponsoring this year as well. Uh, they're helping us out with the lights, um, giving us a, a great discount on them. So we're excited about that. And um, yeah, and, and so yeah, should be a good time. Um, be sure to come out for that. Um, but yeah, this episode, I get to speak with Brandy York, who is a self-proclaimed geek and also the founder of Brandy York Fine Art and Random Geekery, which we talk about in the, in the podcast a little bit. She's like, I thought it would be a, a good name, um, and now it's very long. Um, but had a really great conversation with her, and, and I guess that uh, actually the, the, the video game talk I had earlier about the tournament... Uh, leads nicely into this because uh, we talk a little bit about video games. So if you guys get lost during that part of the episode, you can feel free to uh, jump ahead a little bit uh, as we get into some of those pieces that, that maybe some of you guys don't under, won't uh, appreciate as much. Um, but had a very, uh, you know, fun, interesting kind of story of how she got into art um, how she got into all these different things and, and how she eventually got to where she is now, um, as well as some of the big projects that she's completing or just completed uh, and, and all that that's coming up. So she's, uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to. Um, love always talking to a fellow geek. And um, yeah, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Brandy York. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with the owner of Brandy York Fine Art and Random Geekery. Welcome to the podcast, Brandy York. Thanks, Brandon. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Brandy. Uh, Brandy is a geek. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's really a, a lot of it is I never outgrew that whole, like, liking TV shows and cartoons and video games and all of that that, you know, you're supposed to grow out of as an adult. And now a lot of us have not grown out of it, and <laughs> I can make my living doing this. Yeah. Man, that must be, because it, it must be something like if you could go back in time and tell your younger self, like, oh, man. hey, don't worry. like <laughs> You're not going to be an outcast forever. It's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, so, um, where did you end up? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Southern California, okay. uh, right down the street from Disneyland, actually. Okay. So, you know, I had an annual pass when in the '90s when it was actually an affordable thing to have. Yes. Uh, it wasn't, you know, a car payment every month. Uh, <laughs> if they even, I don't even know what the status on those anymore is, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I spent my weekends at Disneyland. Nice. And, you know, kind of rough childhood situation so that was my escape yeah and I, that's a great escape yeah it was like we friends of mine we'd go and we'd sit at disneyland and draw yeah. like i know that sounds like a ridiculous thing to do but that's that was our escape and it was fantastic and yeah one thing that always stands out to me about disneyland especially now that i work in a retail environment mm -hmm. um <clears throat> is the attention to detail and the amount of work they put into yep. that to make every part of it feel magical and special and new without you even knowing it. Yes. Like the cleanliness, the, the way they have all of their staff members there, but not there. And yes. like every yep. piece of it is yeah. just, it, 
it, it's mind-boggling to think how they get to that level. Yeah, and I worked there for six years okay. uh, in, in college and after. And, yeah, it's very much like the whole mindset is it's a theater production. Yeah. Like, they refer to the main <clears throat> area that the guests are in as on stage. Okay. So it, it is a stage production. Yeah. It's on stage and backstage. And so, like... Everything they don't want you to see stays backstage. And, you know, people talk about, oh, the tunnel's under Disneyland. It's like, mm, no, that's Disney World. Uh, because they learned from Disneyland that they didn't like seeing people in certain, like, Frontierland costumes walking through Main Street because it kind of broke that little bit of immersion. Yeah. So that's why Walt Disney World has a bunch of the tunnels so people can move from one section to another in their various, like, outfits that they wear for those areas that they're working in without yeah. breaking that immersion. And right. so like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of thought that goes into that mentality of how do we immerse people in this fantasy esque setting without breaking that. And like, you know, yeah, seeing the janitors walking around and the people cleaning the bathrooms and the things that have to be there right. and the people that have to be there to do that. But how do we make that as unobtrusive as possible? Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it, I actually learned a lot about how to, present myself and my work yeah. by working there. Yeah, I can imagine there's probably there's probably not a better place to learn that from that and customer service. Yeah. Like there was a a very high expectation of how you handled customer service. Yeah. So yeah. It's <clears throat> definitely frustrating when you go into like Target and <laughs> you know, it's not that level of customer service anymore. <laughs> right. Well and like I love that like they do the thing where it's like um you know, the the people that are sweeping and cleaning, like, randomly, then they decide to start drawing on the sidewalk with water. And so then you get, like, they start drawing this picture. And so you're sitting there watching. Um, what it reminded me of, because I, I used to go as a kid. Um, my, my dad did some work, or his business did some work for Disneyland. So we got barter trade mm -hmm. with them. And um, so we got to go pretty often. And so as a kid, it's just like, you just go and it's like a thing you do. Right. But when I went back as an adult and was watching everything and seeing everything, I was like, Man, they, there are so many different things they do. What it reminded me of is, and I can probably talk to you about this because you would know, is like open world games that are very well developed. Yes. Where like, you know what the main quest is, but you got two minutes down the road and some event happens. And yes. so you get sidetracked and you end up spending another hour <laughs> following that side quest. And you're like, oh, wait, what was I doing again? You're talking to someone who has spent the last two years very heavily into Final Fantasy XIV online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like... But it's like a real-life version of it. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, we're going to go to the Matterhorn. So you start heading that way, but then you run into, like, someone's like, oh, we just saw Gaston over there. So we're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to go see that. Let's go yeah. there first. Yep. And then you're yep. you're doing this, and then you're like, where are we going again? Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, the, that, that level of detail and just, like, all the different things to look at and all the different things that are not meant to be a focal point, but once you start paying attention... Like, I'm assuming it's still this way because it was this way for 50 years. But down Main Street, uh, they had all of these facades mm -hmm. of like you had the storefronts, but then there would be the second level facade with all these different windows with business names. All of the names on the street, on the windows were 
people who had been involved with the development of Disneyland. Okay. And so just little things like that. That <clears throat> like it just looks like, oh yeah, you're walking down, you know, this 1890s, 1900s, you yep. know, boulevard with all these little businesses. Okay, cool, yeah. Until you start really paying attention and start looking, and then you start going down that rabbit hole yeah. of, oh wait a minute, who is this person? Like this name's familiar. Why is this name familiar? Oh, they helped do this part of developing Disneyland or yeah. building Disneyland or whatever. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very cool how how they've done that. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife, who is um, a perfectionist, <laughs> um, she was like, when before we went to Disneyland, she's like, she grew up, um, you know, not well off, and mm-hmm. was like, you know, Disneyland's like the thing that all the you know rich people go do, and it's like it's dumb, it's just a stupid thing you go to. She's like, and I, she's like, I've gone to carnivals, I've gone to theme parks, and she's like, I don't want to do it, like it sounds yeah. dumb. And she, the, when she went, she's like. I thought I would hate it because it's like it's so commercialized right. and all that. But she's like, everything was clean. Mm-hmm. Like every single light bulb was on. Yep. And they will literally shut down a ride yep. to change a light bulb and then turn it back <laughs> on. Like, I mean, a lot of the rides go through a lot of major maintenance mm-hmm. just on a regular basis. And right. then they check everything every morning. And yeah, so, you know, it's. It's wild. Yeah. It is absolutely wild. I started in the parking lot, and people would ask me, oh, you work at Disneyland? Do you know so-and-so? I'm like, well, what department? Do they-? Oh, they're, th- you know, overnight custodial? I'm like, no. No, I work out in the parking lot. <laughs> I, no, I would never see them. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, there are literally tens of thousands of people who work here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. So then what brought you up to uh, the Pacific Northwest then? Uh, So after my husband and I got married, he was finishing his undergrad, and we kind of had that realization of we can't afford to live here. Like, we weren't making $100,000 a year independently. Like, that just wasn't a thing. I was working at Trader Joe's. He was finishing up his undergrad. He was working at Disneyland at the time. Okay. And I was like, yeah, no, this is just not going to (laughs) happen. We're never buying a house down here. So we had some friends up in Eugene. Okay. Um, and we had been up to Portland in 2005. And we're like, wow, this is really, really clean. This is really nice. And, of course, this was 2005, and we were comparing it to L.A. So, you know, <laughs> we take that for what it's worth. But um, so I started looking into doing transfers with Trader Joe's, and the Eugene store said, yeah, we'll take you. Okay. So we wound up in Eugene for about eight years. Okay. Yeah. Nice. What was your husband doing then? Uh, at, at that time, he was a cashier for the uh, portrait and caricature stands at Disneyland. Okay. Um, which I had eventually moved into doing that. I was I did portraitures, and nice. portraiture and caricatures. Okay. Yeah. Which you want to talk about trial by fire? Like you have somebody sit down in front of you and you have thirty minutes to draw them. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, in that scenario, like you you have some training, and do they? Mm-hmm. Do they they have offered you some testing? training. Like okay. obviously, you needed to know how to draw a face yes. going yeah, into it. Yeah. They they couldn't train you from scratch. Right. But um, in they they wanted you to have some knowledge in both pastels and watercolor because they worked with both mediums depending on uh, it was pastels for portraits and watercolor for caricatures. Okay. Um, at that time, and so like you had to have some training. You had to show a portfolio and all of that. And so when you get in there, they would do the training. Okay, here's how we shortcut to get this done in this time frame. Yeah. Here's how we handle a child that is not going to sit still long enough. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. I, you know, we'd tell parents, it's like, okay, it's 30 minutes yep. to, to do this. And they would turn to their three-year-old and say, honey, can you sit still for 30 minutes? I'm like, lady, do you think your child has any concept of how long 30 <laughs> minutes is? <laughs> 
because I can tell you what the answer is right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was it was definitely a challenge sometimes where you would just like. And it's not only are you trying to draw a child in 30 minutes, you're trying to draw a child in a very overly stimulating right. area yeah. of all these people walking by and all this music and this noise. And there is no way that child is not doing, you know, head bobbing every which way <laughs> up and down, left and right. And yeah, so they would train you on like what tricks can you use to grab the pieces that you needed to get down on paper as fast as possible while you had the kid's attention for the first 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So, yeah, very cool. I mean, and some adults are just as bad, so. Right. Yeah, very cool. So then yeah. prior to that, were you doing art and stuff like that when you were in high school or junior high yes. and stuff? Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of one of those, you know, people say, like, oh, how, when did you, you know, start drawing? And people are like, oh, ever since I could pick up a pencil. I was more junior high. Okay. I, I, I drew off and on through school, but it was actually... And again, I'm going to date myself. Uh, when Beauty and the Beast came out in the theaters. Okay. I was in junior high, and I went and saw it with my friends, and I got the soundtrack, and I was listening to it after school one day and decided to start drawing the cover. Yeah. And it kind of clicked. of like, oh, I can kind of do this. And <laughs> so I think I drew that cover about 50 times. Okay. Before I started moving on to other things and then started, like, actually taking classes at school and... All through high school, I had the same art teacher all four years, which oh, was wow. fantastic. Yeah. 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 Uh, by my senior year, I had, you know, the, the high-end art class first period, and then they put me on they put me on yearbook. They wanted me to be the graphics editor because I was the only person who knew how to turn on a computer. <laughs> Hello, 90s. Uh, yeah. So I they had to make stuff up for me in between because yeah. there was only, like, I had one or two classes I had to take. Yep. But they still had to keep me there all six hours or yep. all six periods. So they're like, well, you can TA for your art teacher the second period and just keep drawing. And then we're going to make up this other random art class that doesn't actually exist for your fifth period. And so, yeah. So by my senior year, I was in her art class for four hours a day. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So then, <clears throat> um, you know, you had this experience with Disney and you were doing some work. Um, and you were working at Trader Joe's at the same time, or not uh, not at Disney, but like then you transitioned into. Trader I transitioned Joe's? into Trader Joe's. So when we got married, um, it was kind of one of those I couldn't keep working doing the portrait job mm -hmm. because I, you know, my husband was finishing school and we needed health insurance and all of that, and it's like. I'm making $6 an hour plus wow. commission as a lead. This is not going to work. Right. So I had to go and get a quote unquote real job <laughs> that lasted all of three months uh, <laughs> as a receptionist. And I hated it. I hated it because it was one of those I couldn't, I had nothing to show for my work at the end of the day. Yeah. Like I didn't, I was answering phones and putting things on calendars and like I had nothing to actually physically show for nine hours at work every yeah. single day. And so at that point, I started kind of looking around and watching the website because a friend had said, oh, Trader Joe's hires sign artists and hires artists. And I'm okay. like, okay, all right, all right, all right. So I found a, a store up in um, just north of L.A. at that time. We were down south of L.A. Oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> the reception job was so bad, I was willing to drive 35 miles through downtown L.A. <laughs> <laughs> to quit that job and move into working in grocery. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, I did that for a decade. 
Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So what does that look like? Because I don't think, I think most people think of Trader Joe's as the grocery store, right. not as right. the art signs. Yeah. And so when I went in, um, I had gotten hurt on the job when I worked at Disneyland. So I have some restrictions, which I went in saying like, okay, here's what I got. Here's, I'm, I'm applying for this job. I can do this job. Um, but uh, so I, I didn't do stocking particularly. I didn't work registers or any of that because of the injury. Uh, so it was what a lot of people don't realize is that every single price tag in a Trader Joe's is written by hand in most stores. Wow. Yeah. So especially, I, and granted, it's been a decade since I left, but um, even when I still get down to the one in Everett, that I notice that that's still the case, is wow. a lot of them, they are still written by hand. All of the big signs over the end caps are all done in store. Okay. Uh, that is not stuff that came in from corporate. That's not stuff where they would tell you, okay, here's what this has to look like. It was a, whoever's in the store, they all have a lot of their own autonomy, so they can say, hey... We're coming into pumpkin season, so let's do, you know, a pumpkin display with this, these three products. Yeah. And so, you know, the person who would handle the ordering of those products would get in there and order that stuff. And if they were really nice, we'd get more than two hours notice because um, <laughs> that happened a few times. Um, hey, we're changing this display. Where's the sign? I'm like, you didn't tell me. You needed a sign. Okay, cool. This is fine. Um yeah, so I worked predominantly in pastels on chalkboard okay. style. Uh, we used a different kind of surface paint that actually grabbed on, onto it a little bit better, and then we could retreat the surface in between. Okay. Um, so we weren't, like, throwing away things every time. We had just, like, MDF with this paint on it that right. we would just wash and then repaint and do, do it again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of... Like crash course graphic design training when I was trained as a fine artist growing up, so right. it's a very different thing. Like, yeah. you know, so yeah, it was it was good. It was I learned a lot. I learned a lot about like how how to what the important things to bring to a person's attention immediately are. Yeah, like okay, prices need to be big. People aren't going to read all the time anyway, but you know, you do your best right. <laughs> with it and like you make the prices big, you make the titles big. Here's the product and you can get color coordination. How do I show somebody that this price is for this item? Yeah. If they're just looking at a quick glance and they're not paying attention to, well, this, there's a juice and there's some nuts and there's, you know, all right. these different items. It's like, which is which? So it was a lot of just kind of figuring out, you know, what's the important information that needs to be, get across. Yep. Um, what art can I utilize that will grab somebody's attention to see it? Yep. And I've noticed that a lot of them have gone away from that. And I think that's more corporate than anything else at this point. But um, when I was doing it, they used to tell me, this is not an art gallery. I'm like, <laughs> well, you gave me a piece of paper, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> you gave me a four-foot by six-foot piece of board and some pastels. There's going to be some art in here. Uh, yeah, so I would find ways to, like, this piece of art works into this, and it will catch a person's attention, right. so they will then look at the sign. Yeah. And that was a big piece is when, I, when we first moved to Eugene and I was able to transfer to that Trader Joe's, um, the, the regional manager there was, treat this like a billboard. Okay. Billboards are big pieces of art. Like, think about a billboard. It is one big giant photo with 
minimal words because right. if you're doing 70 past the thing, <laughs> you don't want to be stopped trying to read it. So, right. you know, and then they tell me no art, no art. I'm like, but you told me it was a billboard. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a battle sometimes, but it's like people pay attention to the art. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and so I did some big mural projects for the store. Um, one of the big ones was we did a series of six, six foot by eight foot chalkboards that were all based on photos from Eugene from the late 1800s through to like, I think it was 2007. Okay. At the time. Um, and one of them was an old fire truck with a bunch of the old firefighters from like the early 1900s. Yeah. There was an intersection in Eugene from the 1960s. And people would come up and ask to talk to me and say, that's my grandfather in that that painting. <laughs> that looks so amazing. That's so cool. Or like, I worked in that building in the 60s when you know, yeah. they just built that. And so like, it was intended to be stuff that really resonated with people who had been in Eugene for a yeah. long time. Uh, so... Yeah, it was fun to, to kind of be able to flex those muscles, too, of, like, actually getting to do art. Yeah. You know, in a job that's supposed to be kind of artsy. And they're like, right. no, just write things. Yeah. Just, just write things. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and what you're saying, too, about the, um, the style of, of doing it and connecting the dots, like, what you're talking about, that's so... Um, <clears throat> that took me a while to, to get, and I'm still getting it, but... Um, in retail, mm-hmm. people one people don't read. No, um, so it doesn't matter what you say; it, they don't look at it. They're going to ask yeah. you the same question over and over. Yep. Um, and then uh, two, like you have to do the, what you were talking about—that subconscious connection, because mm-hmm. your brain, your subconscious brain, works faster than yes. your processing brain. So your brain will subconsciously connect these dots and say, "Yep, these go to this. Perfect, got mm-hmm. it." Yep. And but if you have to read to make that connection. They're never going to get it because yeah. they, they read the first word, the last word, and then that was it. And I was like, oh, that didn't make sense. The yeah. what? Yeah. Okay. Doesn't, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> that's where color is a big piece of that. Yeah. It's color coordinating things so that, okay, this cranberry juice is this color. So I'm going to make the price for that the same color. I'm going to make yeah. it that cranberry red and, you know, give it some accent or something to make it pop up a little bit more. Yeah. But like using that mentality of, connecting colors people are much will make that association much faster yeah and that was always kind of one of those things to argue with people who were like oh no just make all the prices red right it's like but then you're not differentiating and letting people know this one is this price and this one is this price although we had an incident (laughs) a one time um my friend was working the demo station which was right across from this end cap that Mm -hmm. had a six pack of beer and beef jerky and both for four ninety nine. And somebody apparently picked up the beef jerky, walked over to the demo station. I see the beer is four ninety nine, but how much is the beef jerky? Like, you know, you do your best. Right. <laughs> yep. You know, the, the foot tall four ninety nine wasn't quite enough. Right. So exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, and we all do our best, and I've done it. I have absolutely, absolutely yes. I have. I, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because I have absolutely gone into a store and looked at something, and then gotten up to the register, and I'm like, "That's not what I thought it was." Right. Did I did I do that wrong, or did somebody not have the right price tag on it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. for sure. And and I I'm now more aware of that when yes. I'm looking at stuff in in a retail environment yep. of like, before I ask this question. Let me just make sure that they didn't think ahead and put a sign that says like this. So I like look around I'm like, ah, restrooms that way. Right? I see they put a sign there <laughs> or like yeah. whatever it is. And because, um, yeah, we're, we're 
we all are moving so quickly, we yeah. don't really take in information that we see. Well, and especially in a retail setting where there's so much stimulation and there's <clears throat> so many different things going on and so yeah. many other people moving around at the same time, plus noise and plus maybe somebody's got a you know three-year-old who's having a full-on meltdown right. and like, I just need to find the bathroom. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> I need to get to the bathroom. Um, yeah, like it, it's human nature. We're going to miss things sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I, I try to like take that step back and go, okay, I missed this. I'm not going to go yell at somebody else. Right. <laughs> because I missed this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not that I tend to go yell at people anyway, but <laughs> you know. So then how did you transition from, what did you do once you left uh, Trader Joe's? Uh, so we had just moved up here. Okay. Um, up to Washington. We moved to Arlington. Um, my husband had finished his master's degree. Okay. Uh, and we decided that we needed a change, and he wasn't getting very much work down there. So um, we had friends up here like, yeah, we're turning people away left and right. So, so we sold our house and lived with some friends for about a year in Arlington before we kind of got our feet under us. And yep. so when we made the move, I said to my husband, I'm like, I'm not transferring. I'm not transferring. This is my turn. I'm going full-time freelance artist. Yeah. And he's like, okay, this, we're doing this. We're doing this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was in 2014. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and at the time, I had started working a couple years prior with uh, a company that, unfortunately, is no longer uh, in business. But uh, it was Imagination International, okay. who was the distributor for Copic Markers in the U.S. and Canada. Okay. Uh, and Copics were kind of like the creme de la creme of markers. Okay. Uh, and so I started doing work with them. I was doing demos and uh, teaching classes and all of this because I was doing like heavy realism with these markers. Okay. And most people knew them as either people doing anime and manga drawings were using them or people doing scrapbook were using them. Okay. Like nobody was using them in a full fine arts capacity. Yeah. And so I had like, taken that as a challenge and I'm like no let's see what we can do here and so I was doing a lot of uh, demos with for them and I was doing store demos and I would go with them to different comic cons and do demos at shows and I would always like okay how far can I push this today and so I was doing like full portraits like fully rendered full value portraits in marker nice yeah and so yeah that that helped kind of carry us through until he was able to get more established in the area yeah. and get his client load up. And then I was getting my feet back into selling at conventions. Okay. Because I had stepped out of it in 2008 when the recession hit. Yeah. And you know, I was at a show in Texas with 12,000 people, and I barely made my expenses for the show. Oh. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. Yep. Here it comes. Yep. So I had done a couple more shows in the in the Northwest into early 2008, and I was just like, this is not viable anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so come 2014, I'm doing this stuff with Copic, and they're sending me to shows. And I did this little show in Spokane. I did a bunch of demos for them. Uh, we did a bunch of panels. And the show just said, well, here, here, have an artist alley table when you're not doing the demos. Yeah. And so I was like, all right. So I... <clears throat> just had some of my stuff printed up and it was selling. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. 
I think it's time to have a conversation about getting back into doing this because like Marvel was really getting into its stride at yes. that time. Yep. MCU was up. Like a lot of those things were starting to fall into place mm-hmm. where geeks were starting to rule the world. And <laughs> Like and we all had money now to buy these things <laughs> and to spread that around. So it was just like one of those. Okay, all right, let's let's test the waters and start applying for some local shows and see. And I did. I actually the first show I did back was not local, um, but it was down in Southern California. So I was like I could stay with my mom. It'll be fine. It was horrible. Oh, no. It was so bad. That was I think to date that is still the only show I've actively lost money at. Oh, no. Um, and then I come to find out after the fact, oh, yeah, no, you should never do that show. That show's really bad. <laughs> where, where was that information like three months ago? <laughs> right. <laughs> now that kind of information is more readily out there. But, you know, in 2014, early 2015, there, there were some resources for people doing conventions. But, like, nobody ever really thought about, oh, yeah, my, my entire living is based on selling at conventions and yeah. things like that. And so it was like, oh, this is just a side gig. This is just a side gig. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, I started doing a bunch of smaller shows up here and kind of getting back into it. And yeah. so then I dipped into Rose City Comic Con down in Portland in 2015. And it's like, okay, all right. We're getting there. We're starting to kind of get settled and it took a while for me to really settle into what I was selling. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners then, yeah. um, obviously you're bringing fine art to it, but what, yeah. what kind of paintings, what kind of art, what style, what things do you kind of focus on when you're doing these? Oh man. Okay. So back then, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to preface this with back then Okay. because I think all artists go through this. Um, when I was in high school, my art teacher was very adamant, learn every medium you can. Mm-hmm. You know, get your hands on every medium. So I, I was trained in pencil, charcoal, watercolor, oil, acrylic, oil pastels, markers. Like, I think the only thing I never really touched was airbrush. Okay. Um, just because of the equipment involved and in public schools in California, that was not really a big thing. Um, so... And I had kind of dabbled in digital art in, like, mid-2000s. Okay. Um, I, had a t- I had, you know, one of the old-school Intuos Wacom tablets that you would draw on the tablet but look at your computer screen. Okay. Which is a real disconnect for a lot of people very upfront. And it's like, yeah, it, you'll get there. But it takes some getting used to not looking at what you're drawing. Right. Um, and so when I started doing conventions, it was a little bit of everything. It was a little bit of pencil, a little bit of color work, a little bit of digital. And um, when I was dipping back in in 2015, it was a lot of portrait work, mostly in Copic because I was doing a lot of work with Copic. So I'd be you know, making prints of these pieces and selling those. Um, I was getting more heavily into Art Nouveau. Okay. Which uh, people kind of know the term, but uh, very much the late 1800s, early 1900s advertising style is the best way to describe it. Okay. It was um, Alphonse Mocha kind of invented this style on the fly. It's kind of a fascinating story if you ever go digging into it. Um, but it's a very organic and fluid and decorative. And I've always loved the style, so I started playing with it a little bit. And so I'd have this 
crazy amalgamation of different art styles and mediums and subjects. And one of the other things, because of doing the work with Trader Joe's, I also got into doing chalkboard typography. Right. And like doing quotes and things like that. And so people would come up to my table and I'm like, so which artist did this? Oh, I did that. Oh, and which one did this? I did that. Wait, did you do all of these? Like people couldn't grasp that one artist could do a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, and so over time, I finally kind of just paid attention to what was moving, what were people buying, who was my demographic, who am I catering to, whom I'm catering to myself as much as anything, but like, <laughs> you know, who was who buying what? Yeah. And I finally narrowed it down and a couple of years ago just went all Art Nouveau. Okay. Um, running the gambit from, and all, all digitally currently, um, partially because of the intricacies of the line work and partially because I have cats who get into everything. <laughs> uh, so I'm challenging myself in the next couple of weeks because I'm going to be breaking out some paints for a new project. But <laughs> So, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, it, it took me a while to kind of settle into, like, we're going to go all Art Nouveau for everything. Okay. Um, which is very time-consuming. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so... You know, people ask me, well, how long does this take you? And I said, like, anywhere from 20 to 60 hours on average. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Some of the pieces are really, really heavily intricate and highly detailed. And, you know, it just, it takes a while to get this stuff done. And, yeah, I mean, I and I love the way it looks. And it's definitely bringing that fine art aspect into it. Yeah. But it's all geeky subjects. Right. You know, it's Dungeons and Dragons. And it's video games. And it's, you know popular TV shows and things that I can make work in the style. I don't shoehorn everything in. But, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that work? Because um, it's something I've always wondered uh, just because the trademark world and all of that stuff yeah. is really like crazy it's, and I'm like, I don't understand area. it. Yeah. So how does that work when you do subjects from uh, trademarked things or different things? Like that? How does that all So work? I try to either work with things that they have written into their intellectual property mm-hmm. rights that we're allowed to. Yeah. Things like Critical Role, which uh, if for people unfamiliar, it is a web series that is, and I quote, a bunch of nerdy-ass voice actors playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, they've had a really huge Kickstarter a few years ago. They've launched into animated series <clears throat> and their campaigns and all of that. But they acknowledge that a lot of their early success was based on the fan artists and the fans doing art of their shows. Yeah. So they wrote into their IP rules that as long as you're not mass-producing things, go for it. Okay. Um, other areas are a lot more gray, and a lot of the properties don't care until it becomes an issue. Okay. Um, I don't touch Disney. I don't yeah, touch Warner absolutely, Brothers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because they do care. Uh-huh. Uh, but, like, I've done some Neil Gaiman stuff, and Neil Gaiman is all about the fan art. Um, you know, I, I had friends who were very, very into Our Flag Means Death. Yeah. And wanted me to do fan art. I'm like, guys, I don't have an HBO login. They're like, here's my password, gay pirate art. Like, <laughs> you know, so it, it's just kind of like one of those, like, it's definitely walking a line sometimes. Yep. And if I get a cease and desist, then it, it goes, goes away. away. Yeah. Um, I actually just applied a new piece to be officially licensed by the author from a book series that I've been reading, um, again, 
So we'll see. That's going to take a few months to get yep. it into place. But like, I wish more companies and more authors and people would do that because then like I'm happy to give you a percentage right so that I can continue to do this thing that is my love yeah. and I, my adoration and like I spend 60 hours on a piece of art because I love what I'm doing yeah whether it's the characters or whether it's my own creation or whatever um yeah it's it's walking a fine line and it's hit a point in the last decade or so, especially as Comic-Cons have gotten so much bigger and a lot of these companies are very invested in their properties and these Comic-Cons and such, that with an exception of a few, most companies don't go, seem to go after fan artists at this point because it's like, if anything, we're helping promote their stuff. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's not to say they won't <laughs> right. in the future. And if that happens, then, you know, we deal with it. But yeah, typically, yeah. though, it sounds like from what you're saying, they'll usually write a cease and desist before they do any yeah. sort of legal of any yeah. sort of big it's, thing. So it's usually it's just stop. Yeah, and you're like, it's OK, like, please stop. Please stop. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's been it. Like, yeah. I, and I've only had a couple and they've been random. <laughs> um, I had some Princess Bride quotes. Okay. That I got a cease and desist. Like, don't sell those quotes. I'm like, okay. Yeah. That that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like. That's funny. Cool. Yeah. The um. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, the uh, I know Nintendo's another one of those ones that is to its own detriment multiple times done cease and desist, and they're like, so we're promoting one of your games as a main yeah. stage event, and you're telling us to stop doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. like, they, they do some really dumb things. Um, yeah, yeah. And, well, and, like, in the, and from the cultural side of it, right, like, this is, it's very much about we're, we're all in this because we love this property, right. we love this product, we love this thing that you're making, and this is how we show our love for it, and how other people also show their love for it. Yeah. Um, and we're making pennies by comparison. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and so, yeah. And yes, it, when you get into the black and white of it, it's not mine to be selling. Yeah. Yes. But I'm not the first. I'm not the last. And most companies are like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Very cool. What uh, what parts or series are uh, from Neil Gaiman have you? Uh, Good Omens. Predict- okay. Um, Predominantly, there's the word. There we go. Uh, wow, yeah, it's been a week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen. Okay. Uh, sitting side by side with you know their wings, uh, but done in stained glass behind them. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Michael Sheen, Aziraphale has just a little cup of tea in his hand. And, uh, Crowley has the apple in one hand, and a, a, you know a tumbler glass with some you know amber liquid in the other yeah. so you know just kind of I, I like to build some symbolism into my pieces yeah. as well as just like not just be here's this character like I, I got heavy into floral symbolism a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and while that piece in particular doesn't have floral symbolism built in um a lot of my pieces I'll find like what's a good flower that what's the meaning that matches this person or this couple of characters or you know things like that and yeah that's a lot of fun to kind of like puzzle piece these things together going okay if I'm doing this character who's very much like his entire story is he's doing everything because of the influence that you had on him over time like, yeah 
okay, this is a good flower. Thou art my life. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Like, you know, just just things like that are, yeah. are fun to build in. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, the... Um, and then have you, uh, did you end up doing any of our Flag Means Death? I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Um, I got one out last year. Uh, and yeah, it's just uh, Steed and Edward. Okay. Um, the problem with Art Nouveau is it's really hard to put more than a couple of figures into a single piece. Okay. Because after a while, they start getting really small. <laughs> And when you're into, like, very heavy line work and detail work, they just get lost. Yeah. Um, I did a piece a few years ago that had six characters in it, and one of them, even on a, a 12 by 18 print, she's about two inches tall. Okay. If that. Like, she's tiny. And yeah. so, like, she gets lost, and people don't realize she's in there. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just kind of one of those, like, yeah, would I have liked to have gotten everybody from the ship on there, yes, that was just not going to happen. That's yeah. just not realistic for this particular setting. Yeah. So. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, we got to go to Comic-Con, the Emerald City one this mm-hmm. year, where they have that. Yeah. And I think, based on what <clears throat> happened and layout and the way they organized it, I don't think they realized how big of a fan following that oh, show has. Oh my gosh, Because yeah. they did not have enough time for... <laughs> Getting up to it, like emptying out the the area before the next group yeah. came in, and the line to get in was crazy. Yeah, and then once people were in there, they were, they were just everywhere. They were yeah. so many people. So many people. That fan base is huge. <clears throat> yeah, and like, yeah, it, I experienced this with Critical Role too because I've been a fan of them since 2015 when they first started. Yeah, and even back then, their first convention appearance that they did as a group in 2016 the show was not prepared yeah like and so you get these shows that are like oh yeah we're going to invite this guest and it's going to be big it's like no you don't understand what you just said (laughs) (laughs) big does not even begin to cover what is about to happen in this building right (laughs) you know so yeah when when um reese darby (laughs) and uh Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the names of the other two mm-hmm. actors that were there. Um, I, uh, but, yeah, my wife yeah. knows. But. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when the three, with the three of them, last, I mean, in the last two years, last two Emerald Cities, they've had cast members from Our Flag Means Okay. Death. And in both instances, it was insane. Yeah. But especially with the actor who played Steed there. Yes. It was insane. Yeah. It was absolutely insane. And, yeah, we... the. The celebrity signings were on the same floor as our Sally, which like was great for us because we were getting all of that foot traffic. Right. But it was wild. Like it was absolutely wild. Yes. When they did their signing thing, it was yeah. The number of cosplayers that we saw go by, the number of people, there was a stamp rally, which this is a thing that's new to me this year. Okay. Um, A bunch of artists will get together and they'll make a stamp card and they'll have a little map on the back of the card. It's like, here's where all the people are. Go do the thing that they require for you to get a stamp and then come back and get a goodie bag or a sticker sheet or whatever. And so there was a stamp rally for our flag means death at Emerald City this year. Like people had... Um, badge banners, little flags to stick onto your badges. It had different quotes from the show on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's when, when you get those particular shows that really resonate with people, right? And then you get some of the cast there, right? 
it's it's going to be wild every yeah. single time. Yeah. So yeah, it's what's interesting to me right now <clears throat> is. I feel like we're in a really weird state in cinema. Obviously, we mm-hmm. just got through the writer strike and the actors strike. Well, I think the actors strike is still going, or did the, it? I think did the actors one is still going. Okay, They're still okay. working through that one. Okay. Um, but the writers one was the big one that they yes. were trying to get through. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting to me is I feel like, as of late, <clears throat> the the movies or even TV series that are succeeding. Are not are almost ones that they come out and they explode way past what they expected, yeah. and the mainstays that you would expect to be doing well are really really struggling. Like I, the, to date, I know Marvel has been doing horrible this year with yeah. some really big name releases. Like these are this isn't like a like I think it was last year or the year before there was a kind of a dud year where you're like yeah. I'm not really looking forward to any of these. Right. Some of these ones from this year were supposed to be, yeah the you know a pillar and they they lost money on them yeah yeah well and there's been a lot of controversy around certain ones like there was a and i'm really out of the loop on a lot of the tv stuff this year because i've had just a crazy crazy year Uh and i can't watch tv and work yeah because then i don't work (laughs) so uh i have to legitimately set time aside and our evenings of unwinding are usually my husband and I playing our independent video games. So like, I just don't get a lot of TV time. And unless I specifically schedule TV time, like I need to schedule time for (laughs) our flag season two. Uh, but, uh, and I had to do that for, uh, good omen season two earlier this year. Right. But, um, but yeah, there was a big controversy around one of the big Marvel releases this year their opening used a lot of AI. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the writer strike and the actor strike <clears throat> that's going on are also very centered around this big movement in AI right yes. now. Yeah. And it's it's huge and it's a problem and I'm not to say not to say that AI itself is the problem. Right. The problem is that what has built these databases to now write these scripts or create these quote-unquote art pieces was all stuff scraped off the internet without the user's consent or the creator's consent or permission or any of that. So, like, when people think that artists are just whining because, oh, we're going to be out of a job because of AI, it's like, (laughs) no, we're not. Photography didn't take us out of a job. Like, we're not going to be out of a job because of AI. The problem is how the data is being sourced. Right. And, like, that's that's the big sticking point right yeah. now. And telling actors, oh, hey, well, we'll pay you a day's wage to scan your, your, your likeness and use yeah. it in perpetuity. Right. Like, for a day's wage. Right. Right? <clears throat> like, that's well, a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, and that, that mindset, that what's funny is, because uh, I've listened to... Uh, what podcast was it? They were talking about it, about that, that piece, and they are like... Mm-hmm. You know, it's not on that piece was actually not uncommon in all the contracts. Right. It historically it's always been yeah. in there that basically if we film you in a movie, we can use any part of you of that movie at any point in the future for all Right. But we used to not be able to scan somebody and then recreate their vi- virtual yes. likeness and, that's and then the do something that they didn't do in the film. They right. completely redone. Yeah, it's a and different meaning. We're we're seeing it in a lot of different ways too. Like I follow a lot of voice actors online. Yeah. And uh, one <clears throat> that I love, uh, not real known here in the U.S. He's more U.K. Uh, but 
he made kind of a vague posting about it. He didn't name the company, obviously, but he said he had to walk away from a voiceover job because the contract stated that they could then use his voice in AI. And yeah. right, it's it's just it's and it's getting such, good. It's getting really good. I can't. I've stumbled across a couple of videos recently, and it's like. Oh, did they actually get the voice actors to do this? And it's like, oh no, no, this was all AI, which means those voice actors did not get paid yeah. for this video that this person is now monetizing. Yeah. Like, and yeah, like it's it's just this weird situation. But like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's you know, it's it's all kinds of complicated, and it's going to be a lot to weed through. And, yeah. You know, and it's been funny for me as a digital artist. For years, I have still dealt with people thinking that, oh, you work digitally, so you hit a couple keys on the keyboard and it just <laughs> makes this image. And I'm like, no, I literally draw this onto a screen into the program. I'm still drawing this, but now we have AI art and it is literally people typing a few words to generate these images yeah. and then they're submitting it into these big competitions. Right. I think and that was what got yeah. it on the map was yeah. when they won that county, I think it was a it was, county. It was a state fair. State, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Count, yeah. Not, I'm, yeah. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was a state fair. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was a yeah. massive, it was yeah. a pretty big deal. Yeah. And then when they revealed that it was AI, <laughs> that's yeah. when the world, <laughs> I feel yeah. like it was like, yeah. Wait. And that was right about a year ago, too, just over a year ago. Because I crazy. remember hearing about it at Rose City <clears throat> last year, which was in September. Yep. And, yeah, the, I mean, and the guy who submitted it didn't hide it. Yep. But he wasn't real open about it either. He said, you know, it was made by Midjourney, which is one of the AI right. generators. And it's like, but back then, nobody, nobody knew, knew what, it what was. that was. Yep. And so, They're you like, know. Great, cool. Yeah. You use something not Photoshop, you use Midjourney, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, right, right, whatever that. Okay, cool, yeah, yeah. And then the judges were like, oh, well, we still would have awarded it for that anyway. It's like, but you don't really understand what's happened here. Like, right. he didn't create this. He put some keywords into a generator mm -hmm. and then went from there. Right. Right? And using work from other photographers or artists or any of that, that their work was just swept up. I've seen stuff generated with the Getty Images logo still in the middle of the image. Yeah. Like, I'm honestly surprised that Getty <clears throat> hasn't really gone to town on this. But right. Well, not to mention, like, a lot of them, some of their, con like, I think it's iStock. I don't know. Some of them, you're, when you buy their photo, mm -hmm. I, I think most of them are moving away from this, but I think there's still a couple that do this way. When you buy a photo, like a stock image mm -hmm. from them, you don't get that photo. You get it for a time period, but if you don't renew it, you can. They can come back, and that happened on our website. Oh, a photo we downloaded and bought, paid for everything. They came back later, like, "No, you owe us for this." We're like, "Why? We bought that. Like, yeah, it's purchased." And they're like, "No, it's a it's a license, and you only get it for so many this long time." Like, oh, so we we yeah. don't use that company anymore. But like, right, right, you know, yeah. it's. All of them are different, and they, yeah. they write their own contracts. And and if you're not reading that fine print for, oh for each goodness. and everyone, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, but it is, it's fascinating. And, you know, they, um, obviously AI is, is, there's so many areas that it's touching, and I know that people are like, yeah, but it's not really, like, you know, we've heard about this. Like, they, crypto is going to change the world, didn't change the world. They're like, no, but you, this is different because it's actually going to, fundamentally change how things happen. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. I know everyone gets the scam calls and the scam mm -hmm. emails and stuff. Like, 
the amount, like they've always pumped out so many of those things, but right. used to be like half the words were misspelled and they spelled your everything else wrong. Now they look real. Yeah. And, and they, you know, when you watch what they can do with, like we talked about voices, mm -hmm. they only need three seconds. I think it's three seconds. Maybe it's 10 seconds. It's very short yeah. where they can reconstruct a very good sounding thing of a voice. So if they yeah. get a scam call and they can record up to those 10 seconds, they can then recreate your voice right. and they already have enough information. They can then call someone else and say, Hey, like they did the example of like, they can have it where they do that to your kid who's yeah. 16, then call the parent and have that voice say, Hey mom, I'm at school. They need my social security number. I don't remember it. Can you get it for me? Right. And then 20 seconds later, their identity is gone. Like yeah. all of that stuff is getting so much harder it's Right. to right. like, like, is this fake or real? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're going to be just questioning everything going right. forward. Um, and there are some places where AI is already showing to be amazing. Yeah. Like I've seen some things about like, <clears throat> okay, this person has these symptoms and they can feed the symptoms into one of the AI systems yep. that's specifically for like diagnosing things and they'll narrow down what a possible diagnosis is to then hand to a doctor right. faster than a doctor could go through and right. do it. So like there are some phenomenal areas where AI is fantastic. And in the, in the medical, the scientific medical side, they said they can type into AI, like give us 5,000 uh, combinations with, with this or whatever. Right. And that is work that would have taken a year to, to yeah. come up with that many plausible possibilities. Right. And AI can just kick it out because... Yeah, it, as long as they have been fed the data. Right. Um, and that's that's the questionable part of this is where is the data coming from? Right. So, like, that's the piece of, like, no, we're not all up in arms about AI. We're all up in arms about where's the data for the AI mm -hmm. coming from. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's one of those things where, like, the, the oversight of it, like... I mean, you look at, like, the tr the attempts at oversight of the Internet, which has been oh. around how long now? Right. From, like, the government standpoint is pitiful. Like, it, yeah. You can't. It's it, nothing. And, yeah. and so, like, you're like, there's no hope for the government to be the oversight of AI. Yeah. So, like, then it, it's up to the communities. And the it's yeah. almost more of, like, a, a community stance that has to be done because yeah. – we just know that government's never going to catch up to that level. No. By the time they do, it's way too no, late. No, and then, but even then, <clears throat> then you get into areas of other governments that yeah. don't care. Right. You know, yeah, I mean, we so. even see that today. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think it's very well common knowledge. But yeah. in China, it's not, it's not illegal to full-on copy things. Oh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, a friend of mine... Uh, did a Kickstarter last year, had a very successful tarot deck that she published, and she had it printed in China. And I'm not knocking printers in China because I have things made in China because that's literally the only place to get some things. Right. Uh -huh. um, but like within a couple of months, she was finding counterfeit knockoffs on a lot of those websites, and there's pretty much nothing she can do to get that shut down. Right. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I went with a U.S. Uh, printer for my tarot deck. Yeah. You know, I'm paying a lot more for it, yep. but I'm not going to have to worry about counterfeits, at least not in that same degree of right. just, you know, the manufacturer decides, ah, let's print a thousand more. It's fine. Right. You know, and go sell them. <laughs> right. Um, so, and they'll be here faster. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, how did you get started on that project? What kind of oh, drove man. you in that way? Uh, so I've been reading tarot for over a decade and a lot of people associate Art Nouveau with the old 
uh, original Rider Waite Smith deck, uh, which is the one that everybody thinks of when they think of tarot. It's okay. that traditional heavy line art, flat color, um, which I think was the artist probably was influenced by Art Nouveau because it was around the same time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so people would see my art and go, oh, this looks like a tarot card. Oh, are these tarot cards? And I'm like, no. People are like, oh, well, you should do a tarot deck. And I'm like, yeah, it's only 78 pieces of art. This is fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, Which we've already discussed takes you anywhere from right, right. 20 to 60 hours. That's why it took me five years <laughs> <laughs> to do this deck. Um, and granted, there was a pandemic in there. Uh there were other pieces having to get made because it's like, well, I can't, I mean, I can sell the prints of the tarot cards, but somebody's not going to just go buy a print of the Four of Cups unless they have some real deep connection to the Four of Cups. So aside from a handful, I think there's maybe like six or eight prints that of my tarot cards that mm-hmm. sell independently. Yeah. For the most part, it was like I had to be doing other things <clears throat> in between the cards uh, to, you know, keep myself afloat while also getting this project going and off the ground. Um, so yeah, this year turned into the, nope, that's it. I've got 20 cards left. We are doing this. I'm just going. Okay. I have to do this one other piece though. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, now we're back to the tarot. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, yeah. And so I got it finished in August. I had already been kind of researching who I wanted to have printed. So I reached out to them went from the original plan of 500 decks to 1,000 decks. Wow. Uh, it was one of those, it was actually my therapist who said, is that 500 going to be enough? I'm like, oh, now you're making me second guess myself. <laughs> and I didn't want to do a Kickstarter because uh-huh. um, I didn't want, one, I didn't want to pay the 18% in fees and deal with all of that. Plus, that was going to add another probably two to three months of time in there. It's like, I'd been kind of squirreling money away for a while. So it was like, okay, we can pay for this outright. This is going to be more than my first car cost, but <laughs> here we go. So, yeah. yeah. So that's in production right now. Wow. Um, I'm hoping to hear in the next couple weeks that they're getting it shipped. Okay. I had to call my mother-in-law and say, hey, can we drop a pallet in your front yard? Because they are not getting a pallet down my driveway. I live on a hill. <laughs> it was just like, I was been in contact with the company. I was emailing back and forth with the rep. And I'm like, hey, is this coming on a pallet? Because we might have a problem here if this comes on the pallet. Right. <laughs> so it's like, can I have this sent to somewhere other than my address? Cool. Yeah. Nice. Very so, cool. So yeah. then what, um, you know, I, I think it is, like you mentioned, like there's, people have an idea of it and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's one of those things that like, especially if you grew up in the, well, I grew up in the homeschool Christian thing where right. it's like, that's like satanic and it's terrible. Right. So like, right. can you g- give a quick, <laughs> uh, easy explainer of a tarot deck? Okay. So tarot decks do not tell the future. Okay, cool. We, we still have free will, right? We can, in fact, one of the first books that I remember reading on like how to read the cards, uh, was like, you can try to predict what's going to happen, but the problem is you're giving yourself this information. You may now make a different decision based on a card that popped up than you would have without that card. So, like, this is not something that predicts the future. The, the cards, individually, the cards have a couple different meanings built in based on symbolism. Um, and when you start putting the cards together in different spreads and different layouts, they interact. And so like the meanings can shift a little bit, but for the most part, a tarot reading is more about what is happening with you right now. Uh, what kind of clarification do you need? You can ask specific questions. You can say, no, I just want a general kind of idea of what's going on. 
And when you have a good deck and a good reader and, like, you have that person who can kind of tap into, you know, the energies if you want to get woo-woo about it, um, it can really tap into, like, okay, here's the general idea of what's going on. And it's not going to say, hey, you're getting into a car accident tomorrow, right? (laughs) It can't be that specific. Right. But it can say, like, you've got some big changes going on. You've got some, like, there's a lot of heavy energies and things. Like, I've had readings where, so... Let me back up a little bit here. When people think of tarot, they think of the major arcana. This is like the death card, the strength card, the fool, the world, all of those. That's the first 22 cards of the deck. Okay. Those are the big cards. Those are the cards that, like, these are huge forces at work. Um, And then there's another 56 cards past that that are the different suits, like swords and wands and cups and pentacles. And so each one of those has, like, different elements and emotions and, you know, or, like... Some of it's, you know, the emotional side, spiritual side, physical side, uh, and intellect side. And so how the different cards lay down kind of determine, you know, if you get a lot of major arcana, there's a lot of big forces outside of your control. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff happening that you just have zero control over. So buckle up and hold on because there's not much you can do. And I had a friend I did a reading for several years ago and 10 cards spread. She had seven major arcana. Pop up in this spread. It's like, oh, honey. She's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I have no control over anything that's happening right now. Um, But a lot of it is just kind of guidance. Mm -hmm. It's like saying, okay, so you have this big thing that's happening. All right, well, if I pull this other card and this card is like, all right, so this is, this card is about childhood. Like who from, you know, who in your family can you tap into? Who from your childhood can you maybe call and see like, or who are you still connected with? Like, or what memories are getting dragged up by these other events that's from your childhood that maybe you need to work on? Like, you know, so there's like different things that the, the cards have different meanings, but a lot of it is, it's not just saying like, okay, the death card. So something's changing. It's like, cool, what's changing? So then you have other cards to kind of help with that and kind of helps the person sort that out. And I always tell people when I'm doing a reading, it's a conversation. I'm not telling you this is what's happening to you right now. It's like, if this doesn't make sense, let me know. We'll pull another card and see if we can clarify and see if that clicks into something going on in your life right now that you go, oh, okay, so that's what this is trying to tell me is that my job sucks and I know it sucks and maybe it's time (laughs) to start looking for a new job. Uh, You know, it's just, it's it's stuff like that. Sometimes it's just, just clarity. Yeah. It just something to help you kind of clarify and go, am I really reading into this really weird or is this event like, is this thing stressing me out a lot more than it should be? Yeah. And sometimes you can pull a couple cards and it'll go, yeah, no, this is stressing you out way more than it should be. So maybe you need to take a walk. Yeah. You know, it's just, and every, every reader is going to read a little bit differently. Like there's no right or wrong way, but uh, yeah, it's always something I've been kind of fascinated by because it's something I've really tapped into and I would have friends come to me for readings and then find out like a week later like yo that was so on point that was ridiculous like you know uh, one friend did a reading for her and it was like you've got some big changes coming up there's going to be some movement and things you know moving forward in this Uh, she lost her job the next day and then a week later found out she was pregnant so you know like sometimes it's just like it seems you could go, yeah, no, that's totally a coincidence that those were the cards that came up at that time. But it's like, yeah, it could be. Yeah. But out of 78 cards in the 10 cards that we pulled, that was the message that came through, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you just never know sometimes. And it's it's kind of fascinating. But, yeah. 
So it was definitely interesting diving into making my own. Right. Uh, but I kept it. So mine is considered a Rider Waite Smith clone, which okay. means it's based on the original traditional deck, which most books, if you were to like get on Amazon or go to a bookstore, most books that will teach you how to read tarot are based on that deck. Okay. So I have a deck that I have read from for well over a decade that does not have the traditional symbolism. So it was really hard for me to learn what the cards meant and okay. keep in my brain like, okay, this is the Eight of Wands. What does that mean? Because this is not the symbolism I'm used, that this book is telling me it should be. Yeah. Um, so I went with a, the traditional symbolism. There were a few places where I kind of deviated based on what I felt I wanted that card to do. But for the most part, um, but because I'm a geek, it, it's a tabletop deck. So it's yeah. all based around fantasy tabletop uh, RPGs. Okay. So like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and things like that. Yeah. And I slipped some little Easter eggs in because, of you know, I'm a geek. So, of course, <laughs> there are little <laughs> things be, in yep. there, right? Um, but, yeah, it's a full traditional tarot deck that uh, full 78 cards with a booklet that's in pre-order right now. And then we'll... Hopefully in the next month, have them in hand, and I'm not going to know what to do with myself. Very cool. <laughs> That's really cool. That's such a cool, uh, such a massive project, yeah. too. And so I'm sure when you finally get those and you're able to, you know, hold yeah. it in your hand, it's going to be yeah. very cool. It's going to be wild. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, then looking ahead, then. What are you kind of looking for? What what projects do you have kind of on the horizon? And oh dear, you know, I it's funny since finishing this deck and getting it into production, I've kind of been floundering a little bit. I've had projects that I've been kind of had on the back burner that I'm dabbling with right now, but I've had friends threaten me with spray bottles that if I started another huge project that they would spray me, treat me like a cat and spray me. <laughs> I'm like, but but. I have ideas, I have thoughts, and I have things I want to do. And so I made the joke, it's like, I'm planning this. It's not going to have any kind of, like, hard, definitive, this has to be done in a certain time frame. But um, because I have been working digitally so much for the last few years, I've been missing working traditionally. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm a geek, and Final Fantasy XIV is my brain rot. Yep. presently uh and so sometime early this year while i was still working on my tarot deck i started kind of plotting out like well who would be a good character from final fantasy 14 for the fool card who would be the magician who would be the high priestess and so i just kind of this was just like in the back of my mind for yep. a while and then i started writing it down and then i started talking to friends about it and as I finished my tarot deck and was getting this going, and I'm like, hey, so this is, this is a thing I can work on now. And they're like, no, <laughs> no, you just finished 78 cards. I was like, it's just the major arcana. It's only 22. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been kind of dabbling with that, but I want to work on it traditionally. Yeah. Um, I've bought uh, some toned multimedia or mixed media paper. Uh, and some gouache because I haven't touched gouache in years. Okay. And so I'm very excited to get to play with that again because it's nice. been years since I've played with gouache. Um, so that's going to just be one of my, I don't have anything else major or pressing going on right now. I'm going to go play with some paints and go work on one of these cards just for fun. Nice. Um, and if it becomes a poster in the end, that's probably as far as that's going to get. Yeah. Um, printing a major arcana deck is not 
really useful in so far as reading for tarot. Right. But um, not to say we couldn't like print cards if people really wanted it. But I think a big poster with all of them on it would be would suffice. But I'm getting way ahead of myself because that's still 22 pieces of art to get done <laughs> before I ever get to that point. <laughs> So very but, cool. Yeah. Aside from that, it's just, you know, finding kind of getting into my, my next groove and I'm not sure what that's going to be yet. So yeah, very cool. Well, it sounds like you just accomplished a really big goal. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's kind of like when you, you win a, you know, a tournament or something, you're yeah. just like, now what? Yeah. Like, I, oh, I did the big yeah. thing. No, I, and I knew this was going to happen. Like I remembered, you know, they always make jokes about after you get married, you go through this withdrawal period of like, I'm supposed to be working on something for the wedding right. and I'm not And why am I not working on? Oh, cause I've already gotten married. So why am I not doing that? Um, and so I knew when I finished this deck, especially because it took five years, yeah. I was just like, I'm going to go through withdrawals of like, I need to be working on the tarot deck. Right. I need to be working on the tarot deck. And so I knew it was going to come. Um, I'm honestly surprised it took about two months to actually hit, but I also had a couple big shows in between. Yep. So I was just kind of like, okay, well, I've had other things to keep me occupied, but this this last week in particular, I've been like, I don't really know what to do with myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have some things I want to work on, but nothing's really like really clicking in to like, let's go work on this right now. Yeah. So I've been dabbling in a few different things yeah. and just kind of, Starting the prep for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> How is it already middle of October? I know. Oh. Yep. It's so, that time. Yeah. Yeah. So. so. Well, very cool. Yeah. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Oh, boy. Um, I, I can't say I have enjoyed it yet because I haven't gotten to play with them yet, but I'm going to go with that paper and those paints. Like I'm very yeah. excited about those. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a hot minute since I've gotten to do traditional work. So yeah. yeah. Very cool. Uh, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Ah, uh, okay. That's, I mean, this is not wrong, but I'm going to go with Alphonse Mocha because uh, as much as like, he's never been a direct part of my life because he's been long since gone. Um, but like his art style has really influenced who I have become over the last two decades. Yeah. Like what direction I have taken my art and like finding ways to continue to bring that fine art aspect into a geeky side of things. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Uh, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. Okay. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. I mean, I do so many weird things, so it's really <laughs> hard to narrow that one down. I mean, I sell at Comic-Cons for a living. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess... Okay, so when people talk about, oh, when, where do you go when you go to Europe? Prague is where I want to go. Okay. Because that is where Muka had the biggest influence. Oh, and that's where okay. his museum is and the family museum and all of that. So, like, when you think in terms of, like, not first destinations for most people when right. they want to go to Europe, it's, yeah, for me, it's Prague. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Oh, you say that like I get out of my house. Uh, <laughs> and I know people. <laughs> The joys of being self-employed and working from home is right. you just don't know people. It's um, true. Yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that okay, one. Okay, not a yeah, problem. Yeah. All right, lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? 
don't underestimate the power of the geeks. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> at 20, I would have, I was trying to hide this as much as I could. And now I will happily walk around in, you know, graphic tees and, you know, with my pin bag and all of that going, no, I'm a geek. Yep. That's, that's who I am. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast yeah, today. thank you for having me. Right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a huge thank you to Brandy York for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to commandocommons.com slash podcast or check in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time.